God is showing up here today, isn't he? Amen. Let's give our team a hand and uh, just thank them. It's incredible when the Lord shows up and you don't expect some of the ways he does that, right? You don't expect maybe the way that he meets you, he enters in, he says, hey, I see you, I love you, I've got more for you, I've got a plan for you. And in this series, we've been talking about what does it look like when God shows up and he, he begins to speak to us individually, but then also collectively to say, hey, <clears throat> I've got more for my church. I've got more for what it means for the church of Jesus Christ to follow me in 2023. That, that how we show up, how we share him, how we live for him in our world actually is something that is meant to make a difference and changes our life but also will change others' lives as we follow him. It's actually an incredible invitation to the abundant life. It's to a life that's not held back or, or, or restricted by things that maybe the enemy has tried to put on us. And, and last week, it was interesting. We looked at you know, this idea of the friend zone and, and things that needed to get out of our friend zone, things that actually might be showing up in our life and, and causing us pain, causing others pain, causing us maybe not to be who God created us to be. Today, as we look at James chapter five together in a few minutes, we're looking at what does it mean to, to let go? And, and this will be my only reference to the song Frozen, right? I, I mean, letting go was a big deal. Letting go resonated with our country and people in a way that kept that thing number one for a very long time. Because I think at some level, it actually spoke to something in our soul that knew there were things in life that we needed to be letting go of. Things that we needed to name, things that we needed to put out in front. And, and the reality is when we begin to name some of those things, they can also try to call us back to themselves. They can also try to convince us that, that maybe we're actually chained to something that actually is different than what we anticipated. Let me read to you in James chapter four to remind you where we were last week. And if you missed the message, that's okay. You can go back and watch it on our site or on YouTube. But listen to these few verses here. Uh, James chapter four, verse six, it says, but he gives more grace, say more. More. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is really good news. That God has grace for us, and that as we submit to God and humble ourselves, he actually will cause the enemy to begin to tuck tail and run. He will flee from us. It's an act of resistance. Now, notice that it also says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves, verse 10, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's interesting how sometimes we can dress things up. We can can cover things up. We can even maybe come to church and show up with, you know, this face that looks like it has it all together. That, that, yeah, we've resisted the enemy, but, but we've also, in the same process, tried to cover up the reality. When I was uh, 16, I, I had the awesome opportunity to get a, a car. It was a 1979 Cutlass Supreme. And, and this car was so cool, uh, you have to know when I got it. I got it in the 90s. 
So it wasn't a 1979, 79, like it wasn't a new car, right? In fact, this car, uh, my grandfather is a magician with Bondo. Okay, uh, he's no longer with us, he's with Jesus. He was a magician with Bondo. If you don't know what Bondo is, it's basically if you have a, like a rust bucket like we had, you, you fill the car with Bondo and then you patch paint it and it looks great. You ever heard of the saying that, that you know, we can put lipstick on a pig? Okay, it's kind of what we had done. In fact, so much so that about a year in, my brother who had just got his license is driving that car across railroad tracks and literally the back axle just caved in, just rusted right through and he ended up limping that thing home and it went from there to the junkyard, right? Here's why I bring that up. Maybe you noticed that I'm chained to something today and it's something that we we tried to dress up a little, but obviously you kind of know what's here, don't you? I mean, you can see that at the end of the day, this is a trash can. That, that while we tried to dress it up, while we tried to make it look like, you know, something else, putting lipstick on a pig, at the end of the day, it's a trash can. And inside of that trash can, these are just a few of them, are index cards. These were used last week to name things that were trash, that we needed freedom from. And, and the reason I say that they're here and in a trash can is because they are. And, and they have been prayed over by our staff, by our house of prayer on Thursday night. We prayed over these. And the reality is, if you look here, these are some of the main themes that were actually on those index cards. Things that as you look at them, depression and gluttony, porn, anger, uh, fear, addiction, gossip, these are things that we're naming and the tendency might be to go, well, I, I got that out into the open, I resisted the devil and then something happened during the week. I feel like I came right back to it, that I'm chained to it. Anybody else gone through this in your life? Scripture talks about, I think it's in the Proverbs, about a dog returning to its vomit. That we can come right back to the same things. Uh, yet the, the breakthrough, the blessing that I believe God has is what we see in this text, that it's once we've named it, there's a greater grace, once we've resisted, it says draw near to God. You see, what we're going to look at today is what are some of the keys, the things, I was so nervous that I would lose this thing, by the way, because <laughs> that would like ruin the whole message and I'd have to adjust it on the fly. Uh, the keys to actually how do we not just name and get free of, of that by naming it, but how do we see the chains break? How do we see the things that are holding us on actually become not a part of who we are, but a part of our testimony? A part of this truth that God has delivered us and is writing a new story and it's in the drawing near, the surrender to something greater that God has for us that we are gonna find that if you look at this idea, the enemy does have a strategy. The enemy absolutely is trying to cuff us and, and keep us in this place that holds us to the trash of our life. Dan Ryland, a pastor and author, talks about a few things that the enemy does, his strategy. Let me just show you a few of them. He says the enemy's strategy is to, one, prevent humility by promoting self-sufficiency. So you can bring it into the light, you can name it, and then walk away and go, in my strength, I won't do this anymore. That's the enemy's strategy. 
It isn't our strength. It isn't our sufficiency. It's his. Secondly, to prevent unity by creating division. I mean, the division that we experience from God and from one another actually gives the enemy a foothold. That division and that lack of unity keeps us from the things that God has. Thirdly, he says, to prevent joy by causing discouragement. That you and I can get so discouraged and not realize that we're victors and God has more for us. Amen? Fourth is he uses uh, and prevents peace and closeness with God by creating busyness. And we wear busyness in American culture as a badge of honor. And we need to realize our God is not in a hurry. Peace, joy, love, they come in the slowing down. They're not in the hurry. Busyness is an, a tool that the enemy uses. And then lastly, to prevent commitment by encouraging complacency. That, that actually we can get so complacent and so apathetic that, that we cannot even realize we're handcuffed to something and it just feels safe and familiar and we become complacent in it. So much of what we're looking at today is realizing that our God has a different game for you and I to play. That, that he has a different scoreboard on what success looks like. Some of you are Miami Heat fans and I apologize, but they lost last night on a three seconds left to go tip from what I understand. So game seven, they're going to show up, right? But last night, with three seconds to go, they lose on the scoreboard because of a last-second tipped bucket. Can you imagine in the last three seconds a tip happening and you realize you just scored on the wrong team and you were playing the wrong game? This actually happened in 2013 to a young man who was in high school. This was in Oklahoma. Uh, this is a picture of actually that moment. Trey Johnson uh, was playing for Hugo against Milford High in the state playoffs. This story went viral because tragically, as a junior in high school, all he had to do was catch the ball, dribble three seconds out, game over, his team wins. Instead, this is the moment where he went up and scored on his own bucket. He scored on the, his own team and they lost that game. Now, you may go, oh, well, what happened? Well, the next day, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder showed up. They brought him courtside. People in our country loved on that young man and told him that's not the end. Don't be discouraged. But what an analogy of a moment when we realize we've been playing the wrong game and trying to score Maybe in ways that Jesus is saying, that's not how I want to show up in your life. I've got something else for you. When we look at James 5, he doesn't hold back. James is talking to the early church. It's the earliest letter written. He's writing to a people that are in a cultural context filled with wealth, filled with persecution. And in the middle of it, he's saying, I want to show up. I want you to understand who you're meant to be and also who you're not meant to be. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 5. Picking up in verse one. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Whoo. He does not hold any punches. If you've been here in this series, you know that the truth of God sometimes brings conviction. And I need to make sure that we hear rich and we don't think, oh, well, I, I'm not wealthy by American standards. You see, here's the reality. We are a part of a global kingdom and a global church. 
We as Americans, whether we have a little or have a lot, actually have more than most of the rest of the world and most professing Christians throughout the world. So what we view as poverty, others view as rich. And so again, what we see here is that we need to identify that this message is one that we as American believers need to hear because we're swimming in wealth in our country. Notice what he says next, verse two. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure, say treasure, treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. If you're taking notes here, showing up is by letting go of worldly treasure and trash to, for Jesus' treasure and priorities. That we as a people are being challenged by God to let go of earthly treasure and trash to receive Jesus' priorities and his actual treasure. Y'all, if you are watching this and you live on the Treasure Coast, if you are here right now, we are on the Treasure Coast. We live in a place that is beautiful and is filled with treasure. Literally, can you, uh, do you know that the name of this area came because Spanish ships were sunk off the coast years ago? That they've never been fully found and so treasure washes up every now and then. That treasure is now trash at the bottom of the ocean. Stuff that at one time looked like it was great and magnificent is now at the bottom of the ocean. What James is getting at, and God, I believe, wants us to hear is, listen, we can give our life to the wrong things. Our area, in fact, is a beautiful area, but for the last few months, I have been specifically praying over three things that I see that affect our area, but I believe also affect other areas in our country. One is arrogance. That, that, that actually we beca- can become so arrogant and prideful that as we're learning in the book of James, God detests and actually welcomes not pride but humility. So arrogance is something that we have to deal with. Some of that may come because the second thing is our affluence. We have so much that we can actually be held captive by it, chained to it, and not even realize it. And that in that arrogance and influence, we actually then can become apathetic, similar to the King Solomon who wrote in the Old Testament about his apathy. You see, there's something I believe God wants to do that I've been praying that the treasure of the treasure coast would become Jesus. That that you and I would move from arrogance and influence and apathy and to say we're not going to be chained to those things. We're going to be set free because Jesus is our treasure and he is our priority. And as we look at this, notice what James says. Like he's not holding back. Let me just, if you're taking notes, show you a few things that he's saying here about guilty pleasures and wrong priorities. 
He says in verse two and three, you're guilty of hoarding riches, of just acquiring things. Secondly, he says you're guilty of cheating others. That how you acquired the wealth, how you keep the wealth, is by cheating others. And, and we need to realize that wealth and riches itself are not the issue. The issue is how did we get them, how do we keep them, and what do we do with them when we have them? Our God is a God of generosity and stewardship. So if we have much, he expects much from us in how we steward it, amen? So the, he also, in verse five, says you're guilty of living a selfish lifestyle. That your lifestyle is ultimately about you. And then guilty of taking advantage of the righteous. And you need to understand that James is writing to a marginalized church that is persecuted, that is often held down by those in that day and age that were wealthy. And so he's telling them, listen, you're taking advantage of God's people. Wake up. Don't take advantage of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so all of these things call us to begin to recognize, is my treasure Jesus or is, have I got caught up and chained to some level of trash? Because it's all gonna fail and fade away. It was actually 100 years ago in 1923 that five wealthy businessmen and influential power brokers in our country convened at the Edgewater, Edgewater Hotel, the Beach Hotel in Chicago. These five individuals, you, some of you may recognize their names. Charles Schwab, Richard Whitney, Albert Fall, Jesse Livermore, and Ivan Kruger. All five of those in 1923 are at the height of their success building earthly treasure and recognized for it. As they met, they had no idea that within 25 years, all five of them would befall tragedy because those treasures didn't lead them where they thought they would. Here's what happened to those five. Charles Schwab died with 300,000, which would be add a zero to that in our day and age with uh, inflation. So died 300,000 in debt in 1939. Whitney served time at a prison for embezzlement. Fall served time for misconduct in office. He was the secretary of the treasury, I believe, and leave behind, left behind a, re, uh, a ruined reputation. Livermore and Kruger, these two influential people both took their own life in despair. Why do we need to hear things like this? So that we can learn from history and the word of God and make sure that our treasure and our priorities are actually the same as Jesus's. And throughout the book of James, there's these echoes of Jesus's teaching. James was Jesus's brother but he's also a brother in the Lord that didn't hold back and he was reinforcing a lot of what Jesus taught. So as we go through today, we're gonna look at what did Jesus teach? What did he say? What was the echo within this that's from Jesus' teaching? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, what? Treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, 
How great is the darkness? I want to just pause there for a minute because I feel strongly that some of us don't realize the things that our eyes see on social media that cause us to compare and covet, that begin to make us think that we need what others have and rob us of our contentment, that those things actually are bringing darkness into our life and chaining us to the trash of the world and the treasure of the world, not what Jesus has. We have to take into account what our eyes are viewing and seeing. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. May Jesus become our treasure. May he become the treasure of the treasure coast, amen? So we look at this, James goes on, and he begins to deal with other things that we need to let go of. This whole book, in so many ways, speaks to the issue of humility and patience. How does that patience show up when life around us feels like it's all falling apart? When it's difficult? They were under real persecution. Look at what verses 7 through 12 say. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be impatient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble, say grumble. Yeah, you grumbled it, didn't you? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And if you don't know who Job is, in the Old Testament, he was a man who lost everything multiple times over. He suffered greatly and was literally told by his wife, why don't you just go ahead, curse God and die? And Job said, no, blessed be his name. No matter what I face, I will continue to praise and worship and trust my God. There's within this this moment where he's saying, listen, you've heard of Job's steadfastness, that no matter what we face, we can be faithful. He says, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. If you're taking notes here, showing up, there's another letting go that James is revealing to us. It's a letting go of revenge and self-protection for Jesus' love and patience. That there's actually within our world this reality that you and I are going to go through things. We're going to suffer pain. We're going to suffer persecution. And the tendency can be within that to try to show up as somebody who's going to get revenge, who's going to retaliate, who wants that for, you know, your own justice and isn't trusting the righteousness and justice of the Father. It also can mean that some of those things that we've been through have caused us 
to want to self-protect, to wall off, to not let anybody else in so we don't get hurt, and that sometimes can even include God. That we trust God just enough, but we're not letting him show up in those spaces where he still wants to cultivate our hearts with his love and with his patience. There's a saying, you know, in our modern vernacular, friendemies, right? It's a friend who's actually an enemy, somebody who you're like, oh, bless your heart. Hey, I see you, right? We're friends, but secretly you're harboring bitterness and you want revenge, There's no place for that in the kingdom of God. That that actually God wants to weed that stuff out so that we don't hold on to that trash and that we don't stay handcuffed to those things that we've been through. Again, echoes of Jesus' teaching. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Goes on in verse 43 to go even further with this idea of our enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and What more are you than doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And to be clear here, we cannot be perfect without Jesus, the perfect one, beginning to show up more and more in and through us. And the reality of what this all means is that God does want to show up. And he wants to help you and I get free of those things. And one of the ways that you can know that, that you've moved into where Jesus wants you to be, is if you can actually pray for those that have harmed you and persecuted you, that you could actually realize that they need Jesus just as much as you do. So you begin to trust him for justice and righteousness and pray for their salvation and their wholeness and for them to learn from maybe whatever they did. That's a big leap, but a leap that the Holy Spirit and God's love within us allows us to take. Amen? There's another section here that deals with letting go. And it actually is the section where we begin to find some victory, where we begin to find like, here's actually the the key into what God invites us into. So let's take a look at these next few verses and this idea of a prayer of faith and what God can do when we really begin to let go. Not just between us and the Lord, and and maybe naming something, but actually bringing that thing into the light and allowing others to be a part of our healing, to be a part of our being made whole, to allow others to speak into it and even pray over it. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, the faith, of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and even if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I'll just pause there for a minute. You know, this idea of praying, uh, some of you may not be familiar, but throughout scripture, uh, this is anointing oil, and throughout scripture, anointing oil symbolizes the presence of God. It also symbolizes, and, and was used in, in the biblical days, also for healing, it, not just by prayer, but also for medicinal purposes. And, and so in this moment in James 5, most scholars believe that it isn't actually the medicinal purposes that's being appealed to. It's the prayer of faith that believes that when we anoint with oil, that we're actually praying, what did Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered, there I am. That we're actually praying together by faith for God's presence to be there and to deliver that healing and that wholeness, that whatever we need to be broke free from, God is the one we're calling on and that there's actually power when we do that together as a part of the body of Christ. That's something that should be done within the church, amen? And so as we look at this, we'll come back to that a little bit later. Verse 16, therefore, say therefore, so he's saying, listen, because of everything we've just talked about, therefore, here's what we need to do. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then it mentions verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. I want to pause there for a minute. Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. He, he's a prophet who I love that, that it says here he was an ordinary man, that he had a nature like ours. Because that means you and I can pray with God's help just like Elijah, amen? That actually if he was ordinary but what made him extraordinary was the hand of God on his life, the fact that the spirit of God was with him. What did Elijah pray for? Why? I mean, was he just like, man, it, it's been a drought. Like, hey, let's have some rain. Like a magic trick? No. You know why he was praying for rain and no rain and doing that? Because his prayer was showing a man named Ahab that there was a God bigger than him. That actually his prayers were showing that the power of God was greater than the false gods and prophets of Baal. That again, when there was trash present, he was saying there's a real treasure and a real power available and we can pray just like Elijah. Now the last couple of verses say this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. As we look at this, Jesus' freedom and power, if you're taking notes, it's, it's in letting go of our pain and problems to receive his freedom and his power. James describes it this way. He says, confess our sins. 
that you and I need to confess our sins and bring them before God. Part of confession is the conviction that I messed up and I need to bring it to God. But it's also the conviction that I can't do it on my own. No one else can help me with this. He is who he says he is and he can actually deliver me and heal me and make me whole. Amen? It's also confessing that. Secondly is the prayer of faith. That we would pray with faith, by faith, and believe that our God answers prayer. And then third, he says that there's something to bringing others back. That you and I should have enough of God's truth and love in us. That as we pray for our enemies and as we see people that have wandered from the faith, that we are the kind of people that say, not on my watch. God, with your help, I'm going to go help bring back people to you because they're not going to find what they're looking for out there. They need Jesus. And so we confess our sins, we pray by faith, and we want to bring others back. Echoes of Jesus' teaching, listen to what Jesus said. This is where we'll finish today. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up. He delivers his purpose statement, his mission statement, this moment of this is who I am and this is what I'm about. As a result, his church is about the same thing. He says this in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, that is freedom to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was saying, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here to bring freedom. I am here to bring wholeness. I am here to bring deliverance. I am here to bring what has been missing and broken. I'm going to make it right. I'm anointed for that, Jesus is saying. And he's saying to you and I in the church, do we believe that? And when we show up, will we pray that by faith because he has more for your life? He has more for your home, your neighborhood, our community, and our church. But church, I'm not sure that we're ready for what he wants to do. Because it does require letting go of some other things and drawing near and saying, if that's available, that's all I want. If that's what God wants to do through my life, it's no longer about me, it's about him, and I'm going to do whatever he's asking. And for some of us today, that's going to be by taking a step of faith to really let go, to allow God to begin to set you fully free so you can draw near to him, so you can begin to live into what he has for you. So let me ask you two questions to close today. The first is, what do you need to let go of today to receive all that Jesus has for you? Maybe it's on This can, maybe it's something else that you're aware of. Maybe it's the pain of an experience you went through, some bitterness, some betrayal. 
Maybe it's something you've been serving that's the wrong scoreboard that God's saying, no, I don't want you playing that game anymore. I want you living for my version of kingdom success. Secondly, will you let go and let Jesus have his way today? And I, it's so simple, but it's so profound because we have to really overcome our fear, overcome our pride, right? What did I say earlier? Arrogance, apathy, and affluence. You have all these things that are competing right now for your attention. And I believe the Lord, because we've prayed heavily over this moment, because we have leaders that are gonna come up. In fact, leaders, you can come up and join me right now. We have some, uh, some of our elders, board members, pastors, their spouses that we're gonna just make ourselves available up here because we wanna pray. We wanna pray by faith with you to believe that, that God is ready as you let go to, to do something new. Some of you, it may be in a moment that he moves. Others of you, he's gonna set in motion the drawing near, the hunger and thirst you need to find real freedom in the days ahead. So I'm gonna ask right now, if you're able, that you'll just stand right where you're at. I'm gonna just pray over us and then we've got some time to just allow the Lord to move. There'll be a couple of songs and opportunities to just be in his presence, to invite God to show up, and then for you to, to say yes to whatever he's showing you, whatever you need to let go of. Maybe for you, it's coming to the, the kneeling benches or the altars. Maybe for you, it is coming to one of our leaders and saying, I need to, I need to get this out. Can you pray over me by faith? We've got anointing oil. There's nothing magical about anointing oil, but it symbolizes by faith the presence of God. And I'm telling you, don't let anything ever keep you from the presence of God because it changes everything. Yesterday, as I was uh, on the beach, which is a lot of times for me, my prayer and prep time, what a great place to prepare, right? I didn't expect what God began to do. I didn't share this in first service. I wish I would have. It just didn't come to me. But there was all this junk that God began weeding out as I sat there on the beach. All this stuff that I, that I thought I had dealt with, that Lord's like, no, like that's, that's chaining you. You've got to let go of this, Pastor Brian. You, you've got to really let go for what I want to do. None of us, none of us, need anything but his presence. So let his presence, whatever it shows you right now, lead you into the light to set you free. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for this extended time of praise and prayer, of just worshiping you. God, we know that you are showing up already in this room. You have been all morning. So Holy Spirit, have your way. May we confess our issues, but also your worthiness, your holiness. May we pray by faith and may breakthroughs come as we don't hold anything back from your presence. 
Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. May we just let it go and allow you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.